Welcome. So excited that you are here today, whether you are at Barker, whether you're watching online, or whether you are at Otis. We've been in a series called The Armor of God about what God says, if you're a follower of him, what we need to put on every single day because we're going to face battles on a regular basis that we better armor up. So far, we have looked at the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, and last week we talked about the helmet of salvation. Now just remember, it's not as much about the armor as it is about what the armor represents. So what God is asking us to do is he's asking us to be about truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and obviously salvation. Now today is my favorite piece of armor because we're going to talk about swords. And swords are just cool, right? So, so let, me, let me give you an example. Uh, this would be an example of sword. If anybody who sees a sword, like this was hanging out, you know, just around in the lobby, here's what would not happen. People would just look at it. You got to grab a sword. You pull out the sword. And you start using the sword. Well, hopefully not too much, you know, in your life. You might actually get arrested for that. But uh, swords are also, I mean, I, I can't remember. Uh, I mean, I, I know so many times growing up how often my, my brothers and I would grab sticks. Uh, we would grab uh, these, these plastic lightsabers, uh, pool noodles, you know, and we would just fight back and forth and back and forth until one of us would get hurt, cut, and we'd go crying to mom or dad. You know, that would usually end in that way. And again, sorry, that is a boy's family, you know, because I grew up with two other boys and I was always the one that seemed to hurt my other brothers, which I kind of took pride in as they got older. But I got to thinking for a second how cool swords are, uh, especially when it comes to the TV or if it comes to, you know, movies, you know, as such. And so I started thinking, um, I wonder how well you can identify uh, the different popular swords, you know, over uh, what we would call media. And so here's what I want you to do. I, I want you, I'm going to show you a sword. And then if you're online, I want you to put it in the chat, what you, where, who you think the sword belongs to. And, uh, and then we'll reveal it. Otis, I want you to participate as well. So just shout it out. Okay. So we're going to start easy and we're going to get harder as it goes along. So here's the first sword. Kind of. Okay, so it's a lightsaber, right? Who does the lightsaber belong to? It's green. It's Luke Skywalker. Okay, Luke Skywalker. Okay, let's try to see if you can get it right. Okay, here, it's going to get harder. Check out this next one. Okay, here's the next sword. Put it in the chat. What do you need? Frodo. Okay. Frodo would be right, except for even the picture is wrong because Bilbo found it first. And so you'd actually be, you'd be wrong if you said Frodo, even though we have that on the screen. Okay, next one. After this one. Let's see if you can guess this one. Princess Bride, the dude from Princess Bride. What's that? You killed my father, prepared to die? Anigo Montoya? No. Go back a little further. Let's show this one. Go ahead and show it. Zorro. Okay, it goes back. Hey, it's the same sword. Don't, 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 don't talk sass. Don't talk sass. Okay, uh, here's, here's my favorite. You know, my favorite. Can you identify this one? It's only appeared in probably 1,800 movies. Anybody? All right, let's show it. 
Captain Jack Sparrow. Yeah, there's probably 1,300 of these same movies. It just got to be the, the over and over and over. All right, last one. Here's the last one. Can you identify this one? Gladiator would be a good guess. That's as close as you're going to get, because it's actually what is a picture you're seeing now is what a Roman soldier would have worn in Jesus' day. And so that was the example. Sometimes, you know, when we think about uh, uh, swords, we think they got to be long and like two or three feet. In fact, in Jesus' day, the Roman soldier would be about 18 inches, two feet at maximum, because it was used in hand-to-hand close combat, especially in the enemy where you'd almost want to use it sometimes as a dagger. And that's going to be important. By the way, the specific sword, you know, in Latin is called gladius, from which we get the word gladiator which is one of the best movies of all time, by the way. Uh, in the Bible, you know, you see this exact sword is used one time in the Bible. And it's when uh, Peter decides that he's going to defend Jesus before he gets taken captive and he cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. So I didn't say he was good at using the sword, but that was the sword in which he used. Jesus rebukes Peter and says these words, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. But yet... Jesus is going to actually tell us we do need to have a spiritual sword if we're actually going to face the battles in life. It's not only a defensive weapon, it's an offensive weapon as well. One of the only offensive weapons as part of the armor of God. The other places that we find in the Bible significant when it comes to swords is Isaiah chapter 27. It says, in the day the Lord will take his terrible swift sword and punish Leviathan. Leviathan is another example or a name for Satan or a picture of Satan. So God has defeated Satan with the sword, and now he's given us the very same sword for us as we battle against the dominion and the forces behind, which is Satan and his demons. Secondly, in the New Testament, in the very end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, we read that out of the mouth of Jesus Christ comes a sharp, double-edged sword. Same word that's used in those instances. And so to armor up, we need a sword. And here's what the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 17. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I'm old school. Old school means I grew up in the church. I teethed on the pew. I'm a third generation pastor's kid. So I understand what church has been over the years. We used to have something called sword drills. Anybody ever heard of a sword drill? Put in the chat if you heard it. Raise your hand and notice. Sword drill. Okay, here's a sword drill. Uh, We would say a phrase from the Bible and you would have to find it and be able to quote it, or we would tell you the name and chapter, like we'd say Matthew 6, 17, and whoever could flip in their Bibles the fastest to Matthew 6, 17 would shoot up, they'd stand up, and then they would read that out loud, and they would get a prize of some sort. Yes, I know, it might be a little more difficult with our smartphones these days, but it was something that we did on a regular basis. See, when we take up the sword, we're actually taking up the spirit. Here's something I never learned before. I always thought When I take up the sword, I'm taking up God's word. And it is God's word, but it's not what it says. It says, take the sword of the spirit, which happens to be the word of God. And so it finally just hit me for the first time. Wait a minute. I'm not to take up the sword. I'm to take up the sword, which represents the spirit, which represents the word of God. You see how that works? See, there's an intimate connection between the word of God and the spirit of God. Throughout church history, people have been trying to divide the two 
on a regular basis. There's one group of people who think it's all about dialogue and doctrine and God's word, and we kind of put the spirit to the side or we lessen the spirit. There's another group of people saying it's all about the spirit and being led and guided by the spirit, and sometimes they put the word to the side, and we're actually supposed to put the two together in equal harmony, that it's the sword of the spirit. It's minds fully engaged, hearts all in, relying on the truth as it's revealed in scripture and depending on the Holy Spirit himself. In fact, Hebrews 4, 12 says it this way, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Here's what's fascinating that you probably don't know at first glance. There are actually two different Greek words that we translate as God's word in our New Testament. One means something, something means, and the other word means something a little bit different. Like, let me give an example. More often than not, you'll see in our New Testament that that word translated God's word is a Greek word pronounced logos or logos, which means the total inspired word of God and Jesus who is the living word of God. For example, you would see this word translated word of God, logos, in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, the logos, the word, already existed. The word was with God, and the word who is Jesus was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Jesus, who embodies and personifies the word, the Bible in its totality, the revelation of God in its full would be the logos. And that's what he would mean. But if Paul meant that the sword of the spirit is the Bible, he would have used the word logos, but he didn't. The word that he uses in this specific passage is pronounced rima. Rima. Now, rima is the spoken word of God. It's the spoken word of God. Specifically, it's a verse or portion of scripture that the Holy Spirit brings to our attention with application to a current situation or need for direction. This is the time that you're in instant battle and you need that verse, that chapter, that direction from God. You don't need the entire revelation of God. You don't need all of God's word. You need the spoken word. You need that verse. You need that chapter. You need what he needs to give you to face that battle in which you and I are facing in the moment. That's what he's saying there. Are you equipped with words from God? Are you equipped with chapters and verses to know how to handle whatever it is that you are facing on a regular basis? Remembering that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's actually against Satan and his evil forces. Just want to remind you, Ephesians 6, 12, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And here's what's interesting about that evil world, Satan And his tactics have never changed. It has been the same from the beginning, in the middle, to today, to the end. Uh, Let me actually, you know, prove it to you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says these words. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Lust of the flesh lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is at the root of all the things that you and I are tempted to, that we are drawn to, that would draw us away from God. It's a lustful craving for physical pleasure above in place of God. 
This could be things like, could be sex or sexual immorality. It could be alcohol. It could be food. It could be, you know, a number of different things that bring comfort where you're placing that ahead of God. That would be one example. The second would be a lustful craving for everything we see, right? It's never enough. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. No matter what you get, it never satisfies, but you're trying to draw on thinking and being fooled over and over and over that if I can just acquire whatever that is, whatever my eyes see, whether it's people or whether it's possessions, that'll fulfill me or the pride in our achievements and our possessions. Like I just take such great pride. Look what I have done. Look at me. Look at me. Not God. God isn't. And just look at me. And what's so interesting is that Satan has used this from the very beginning. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, right? There's no sin. Nothing's taken place yet. And yet the temptation that's before Eve that she gives into is revealed to us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, the pride of life. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. God's command was you can do anything, just don't eat this one. Well, what was it that pushed Eve over the edge? Those three things. John says those are the three things that Satan is going to try to do to push us over the edge or get us away so that we would lose the battle or whatever battle that we might be facing. What's fascinating is the very same temptation that Satan brought to Eve, we read about that Satan brought to Jesus in the New Testament. Same three things. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Because I didn't want to put that all there. If you don't have your Bibles, then just kind of listen, whether you're watching our line or whether you're at Otis. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said this. Notice which three he's going to tempt Jesus with. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Here's your chance, Jesus. Lust of the flesh. It's all about the flesh. But Jesus told him, no. Scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but on every word, rima, Every word that comes from the mouth of God, the spoken word. Then the devil took him to a holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, he says to Jesus, jump off. For the scripture says he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The pride of life. Look at what I can do. Look, I'm the son of God. I'm going to be able to do this and everybody's going to see who I am. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took them to a peak of a very high mountain, showed them all the kings of the world and their glory. He's showing them with his eye. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. The lust of the eyes. Look at all that you can have, Jesus if you'll just do this one little thing, Jesus responds, get out of here, Satan, he told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came to take care of Jesus. See, Jesus gives us a blueprint. He gives us a specific path, knowing that the battles that we're going to face are going to have its root in one of these things primarily in our lives. 
And when we go through these things, whether we are 10 years old or they're 100 years old, he says, here's how you're going to face it. You gotta put on the armor of God and you've gotta be able to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the question is, how do I do it? How do I do what Jesus did? I'm just gonna quickly give you three things and then we'll be done for, this, for, for today. First, know God's word. Do you know God's word? It's very hard to use God's word if you don't know God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says, but you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You have been uh, taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word is the blueprint for life. Not culture, but life. Not dictated by the media, but this says life. It, it doesn't change. And so we're saying, okay, God created us. He knows us. He wants us to have an abundant life. And he says, do you know my word based on any subject? Do you know it? Now, I know that maybe you, like me, have experienced something like this this last week. It snowed, and so uh, as a help to my family, I decided to shovel some snow. A snowblower out, very excited. I always like the snowblower. I don't want the kids to do it because I just love just watching the snow, just going, going like crazy and that kind of stuff. So I was just having a great time. And then I got to the back porch area and I was like, you know what I'll do? I'm thinking, I know what I'll do. I will clean off the rest of the porch area down the stairs so that our dogs have a place to go to the restroom. Because otherwise, if I don't do that, my dogs will use the restroom in our house and not in any place that my wife would like. And so I'm thinking, this would be helpful. So I start doing that. I start cleaning things off. I clean a nice path. I come back in the house. I grab my daughter, Angelie, and I take her to school. While I'm coming back, I get this text from my wife. <laughs> Just says this. There is poop everywhere in the house. And I'm just furious. I'm going to beat those dogs. When I get home, I mean, hey, hey. I mean, I didn't really, you know, I'm just saying this is a feeling. Sometimes I want to beat my kids. I don't beat my kids. I'm just saying, you just have these feelings that you want, you know, resisting there, you know? So, so there's a dog. So I'm like, Ooh, I'm getting mad. And as I walk in, my wife is very frustrated, but I quickly realize her frustration is not at the dogs. Her frustration is at me. And she says, I need you to look down at your shoes and I look at my shoes, and my right shoe is covered in dog poop. And I had come into the house because as I cleared the path for them, my dogs, I did not realize that there were nice large piles of their deposits from earlier that day or the day before. So I unknowingly walked back into the house and into the bathroom and into the kitchen and into Angelie's room, and there were pieces everywhere. And uh, uh, I got a little bit of a rightful earful, you know, in the midst of it all. Now, what was a best laid intention in trying to do and know what's right can sometimes go a little bit awry, right? Reason I mention that is because recently we've gotten some feedback 
from people in our congregation about what we were trying to do when it came to the sex ed bill. And so we were trying to, to say, here's a pathway forward, and here's something we want to do to the elders, you know, from the elders. And sometimes the best laid plans, you step in some doo-doo. And even though you try to clean it up, you feel like you're stepping in more doo-doo. And so I just want to be absolutely clear with everybody. When it comes to knowing God's word, we will always, always stand on God's word. Because you can't stand on what the culture has to say. You always have to stand. And again, we're talking to Christian people who are taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. They've surrendered themselves to the lordship of Jesus. So we're underneath a different set of rules and authority, which is the Bible that guides our lives. So when it comes to sex, sexuality, gender, all of that kind of stuff, we will always be a church that stands on God's word. Okay? So I want to make sure we're absolutely clear with all of that. We know what God's word says, but sometimes we just like, like some grace. Maybe it didn't come across as well as we'd like. Now, some of you have probably been Christians for 10 years, for 20 years, 30 years, maybe less or maybe, maybe more. My question for you is, have you gotten into the habit of reading God's word every day? You say, and this is good. I said, I don't know, Dan, if I have time, right, to read, read, read the Bible. I don't have time to really go into that. Do you know that according to the Nielsen Report, people in the United States as of July when this came out watch an average of five hours and four minutes of television per day? Per day. That's slightly more than 77 days a year, if you add that up. Well, what about social media? All of a sudden it got pretty quiet, didn't it? Americans spend an average of two hours and six minutes a day. By the way, if you're between the ages of 16 and 24, the average is three hours and two minutes a day. That is over 30 days a year of your life spent on social media alone. Do you know that you can read your Bible for just eight to 12 minutes a day that you could read through the entire Bible in a year? Eight to 12 minutes. You can read through the entire New Testament in just under 18 hours. And if you've never read the Bible before, that's where we want you to start. Start in the book of Matthew. And you can read the entire Bible in about 54 hours. You have time. I have time. Don't lie to yourself and say, well, I just don't, I don't have time to be able to do this. Do you think for a second that maybe if Satan knows that one of the weapons that defeats him, that Jesus models for us, that combats against Satan, that the one thing he wants to do is to make sure that you're not in God's word on a regular basis. Wouldn't that be a good tactic if you were an enemy? To know what, hmm, what's, the, what's, what's something that's going to beat me? What's something that's going de- to destroy me? What's something that, that's going to overcome me? Ooh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to take them away. I'm going to try to distract them from the thing that will actually bring life. In fact, all the studies have shown the most significant way that you can grow in your faith is to spend daily time in God's word. It's been studied and it's a fact. So let me help you out because I understand. For some of you like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. Here's something we've done recently. It actually started through COVID. 8.30 every single morning, Monday through Friday, we are going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books in our Bible. And we do it online. So I go live Every morning for about 10 minutes, 
you know, Monday to Thursday, and we have other pastors and people in our church that do Friday, and we've gone through the book of Ephesians, we've gone through James, we've gone through Romans, and we're almost halfway through the book of Acts, and we started this through this time. So if you're looking for verse by verse, chapter by chapter, every single day for 10 to 12 minutes, I just am offering that to you on a regular basis that you can join with me in once again, starting tomorrow. It's daily time with God. You need accountability to this as well. There's version Bible, you know, uh, uh, things that you can join in into on a regular basis. There's a, this Bible app you can do. So you've got to know God's word. Are you in it? That's just the key. Are you in it on a regular basis? Secondly, not only do you need to know it, we got to apply it. That's a lot harder. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. In, in fact, uh, to use the sword Im- imagery, I think that there's a lot of us believers who like the look of the Bible. In fact, the, the old days, it'd be like, man, if you could have some, some pretty cool leather-bound you know, kind of Bible, it's almost like putting the sword on the shelf. And you're like, man, isn't that pretty? Let me tell you all about this sword. But you never use it? That's not the purpose of the sword. It's not to be looked at. It's actually to be used. That's the purpose. So are we applying it? And this one's a lot harder. Let me give you an example. I know, right, that I should love my wife on a daily, regular basis. I cannot claim ignorance. I tried to, but I can't after 20-something years. I should probably know the answer to that one as well. See, I know what I should be doing, but to do it is a lot harder, isn't it? All right, it's a lot more difficult to actually do it. And so here's one of the things I'm always encouraging is at the end of every sermon, you ever notice we say, here's a next step. Here's an application, something you can maybe put into your life. So that's not just something you know, it's actually something that you're doing as well. Or in small groups, if you're ever in a small group with me, here's how I'll always end the group. What is God, not Dan, what is God asking you to apply this week? One thing. And let's write it down, let's be specific, and let's come back next week and celebrate what God is going to do in your life as you apply his word and not just know about or talk about his word. That's the second way that we are able to use God's word. So God's word, sword of the spirit, apply it, know it, and lastly, we gotta share it. Share God's word. First Peter 3.15 says, if someone asks you for the hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but please... I added that. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Pointing to what the word says in every situation. Instead of just, this is what my mom taught me. Now, look, your mama may be the most wise person ever, and that's great. But you know what creates more power than even your mama? Is what does God have to say about an issue? What is God's word instead of just what does somebody else say about an issue? Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And, and how will anyone go unless, without them being, unless they are sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. See, faith comes from hearing the message. The only way people are going to hear is if we're willing to share the message in word and deed to bring the rima of God, not the everything of God, not the full logos and the full counsel of God, but here's specific things that you need to learn about God and his word. So you're going to leave here in just a second. And Satan's going to try to do anything to do that he can to distract you, 
from spending time, from applying, and from sharing God's word. If you know that that is the secret weapon that defeats him, the other pieces of armor are to protect you, but this and next week's weapon is there to defeat him, wouldn't this be the one, maybe of all of them, that you would say, I'm going to walk out of here committed to having that be true in my life as I armor up. So what will you do this week to ensure every day that you are taking up the sword of the Spirit? You can't do it unless you've received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Whether you're online or at Otis, I'm going to ask you to do that even now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, as I know um, that we've got teenagers who are here and who are watching. Father, we've got young adults. We've got married singles, grandparents, parents. Father, that we know that the word your word is what brings life, it brings direction, it brings fulfillment. Lead us, guide us, direct us by your word. Help us to spend time with you who became flesh, Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.